Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already, ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to you can do this on twitter at the coaches net once again that's at the coaches net and please make sure you do as i'd love to hear your thoughts guys anyway on to today's show i hope you enjoy it have a great day guys hey guys you're now listening to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name's coach yas and i'm a with a licensed football coach coach developer and content creator i'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys their life lessons and how you can make an impact enjoy right guys welcome back to the coaches network my name's coach yas and i've got a very special guest with me this afternoon my guest this afternoon is lee birch afternoon lee how are you mate I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Um, Lee, just for those who maybe aren't uh, too familiar with you and your journey, would you mind just telling us a bit about who you are, what you did, um, and where your journey started? Yeah, cool. Yeah, so um, at the moment, um, I'm currently out of work, having just uh, just left London Bees uh, at FC, um, which is the women's section of Barnet Football Club. Um, and I've sort of been involved in the, the women's game quite heavily for the, for the past, you know, well, since I started coaching, really. But I've, I've managed prior to the London Bees, I was at Yeovil Town in the WSL and, and Mill Lionesses in the in the WSL2, as it was then, which is the, the championship of women's football. So, yeah, I've been a manager in the top end of the women's game for the last few years. Prior to that, I worked for the Football Association in the FA Skills Programme. So I did, uh, I think, I think it's about 12 years from it literally starting to, to the programme, finishing all the way through. Um, I did that. Uh, that was alongside uh, various other roles, coaching in men's non-league, coaching in uh, youth clubs and working grassroots football and doing everything else um, alongside FA tutoring as well. Prior to working at the FA, I worked for the county FA, Hampshire FA. So I'm based in Southampton. So I worked in the county FA. Uh, that really started for a work experience of 14 and ended up getting a job there. Um, and then in the middle was loads of little coaching jobs, you know, here and there, working with little companies, working with grassroots uh, clubs. Um, I went abroad to America, did nine months over there with UK Elite, which was great. Uh, worked for Southampton Football Club, um, like development centres and, and in the community programmes there, coaching in schools. 
Uh, and then I worked within the girls, Snampton Centre of Excellence as well, which is kind of where the my first sort of pathway, I suppose, into the women's game where I'm at now. Um, started working with some players that had gone on to do to do very well and then come full circle to, to end up where I am and uh, hopefully going to be back in, in involved in the, the game very soon. I'm sure you will, Lee. I'm sure you will. Lee, thank you for that brief, you know, that rundown of what maybe 10, 15, 20 years in, in what, 10, 15, 20 seconds maybe. Um, but Lee, you know, I want to take you right back to the start. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Yeah, I want to take you right back to the start of that journey. Maybe just, to, you know, what, what was your first step into, I guess, the coaching world? And, you know, you talked there about a range of different experiences you've had from, uh, you know, from working in a set of excellences, maybe pre-academies and development centres, but also, you know, the community programmes. You know, what, what was that first step like in, into coaching for you? Or when did you, better, when did you first come across a situation where you thought like actually coaching is a route that you might want to consider? Yeah, the first time was, um, so is it year 10 at school? You go and do your work experience where you get sent out. And uh, my mum was uh, secretary of my grassroots club and was linked with the, the Tyro football um, league that we played. And so I had some links with the County FA and, and basically got me a um, opportunity to go into the Hampshire FA and do my, my work experience there, um, which was great. And, and I, I ended up doing that. And uh, I think he did a week or two weeks at the time, but got on really well with everyone. And, and ended up going back and kind of doing like uh, work in the summer for them and in half terms, went back and being the tea boy and doing all this sort of stuff and, and doing all those, those little jobs, but getting to things. And during that time, I uh, worked in the coaching department for a little bit, just an admin role, but worked under Sue Lopez, um, who is a legend within the, the, the women's game. Uh, and Sue sent me out for one day to go with their community coach, a guy called Matt Beckenham, uh, to go to school and just literally just go along with him. And I went along and that was probably the first time I saw someone coaching out in, in, in an environment that was paid and, and, and what they did um, rather than me being coached as, as, as the player. So that was probably the first time I saw it and I saw an opportunity to, to do something within the game that I enjoyed. The admin side at the County of Fay, which I ended up getting a job there but in the discipline department so dealing with red cards and yellow cards and finding people and all that stuff but it wasn't it wasn't for me like stuck in an office I, I needed to be out on the grass I think so once I got 16 and got that job role I did my first coaching course and and kind of kind of went from there and, and did some other coaching alongside the admin side of things so yeah that was that was my sort of introduction to to it I think and yeah, and, and as you do go out there, get out there in the grassroots world. Sorry, obviously talking about, you know, going into that environment, maybe through your work experience, like, you know, if you kind of an experience for me that I completely forgot about myself. I kind of had my first experience in coaching similar to that, really. It was on work experience. I remember being sent down to uh, Watford um, Football Club and their community programme and uh, looking at how some of the coaches work in there and different bits that they did in the community scheme. What was it about the coaching space that maybe caught your eye though? What was it that you thought, you know what, I could actually, I really enjoy this. I really like the, I really like maybe being on the other side of this, if you like. Yeah, I think it was a case of, like, I still wanted to be a player at that point, you know, 14, 15, you still wanted to be a, a player and you have dreams as a kid of going to do that. And I, and I think what happened was the coaching went alongside it, started to enjoy it and, I think I re when I realised I wasn't going to be a professional player, for me, it felt like a strong in the game to, to do something I enjoyed. And 
I always like to managerial side of things as well. You know, as many of us do grow up playing the LMA manager and football manager and all that. So, you know, you know, I remember skipping school, going out and going to my mates and spending an hour playing, you know, football manager rather than maybe doing the geography field work I should have been doing. So, um, I, it, it just interested me, the coaching and the management side of things. And I think it was a case of going, you know, I'm not going to be a pro. I'm not going to be a player. I can, I can play as much as I can do, but where could I get to within this? And, and I get, you get paid for it as well. You know, getting a, getting a job opportunity. Like, so started doing my coaching qualifications, enjoyed the coaching qualifications as well. Um, and then, yeah, it just become my, my job really. Um, I worked for Southampton in the community for a few years and getting paid for that, but worked at nights at being huge to, pay the to pay the bills but I always felt that those years were like my coaching apprenticeship you know I was doing another job but I was I was coaching here and there as well when I when I left the county FA um and then when I finally got the opportunity to go to America and do nine months over there that was probably the first time where I could just wholly concentrate on coaching didn't have anything else going on in the background um uh, and and it was kind of the first time I could just concentrate and be full time with it so so, yeah, loads of little bits here and there, but I think it was just a case of understanding I wasn't going to be a professional player. Um, and, and, yeah, but work within the game we all love. Awesome. Now, you talked there about, obviously, you know, that first time where you kind of really maybe, if you like, dive headfirst into the coaching and not have to think about anything else. And your coaching experiences through your qualifications. What, what was that like back then? Obviously, you know, things have changed dramatically over the years. Um, you would have experienced that both as a coach and now as, you know, more, more recently, maybe as a coach educator as well in how that pathway has changed massively. Um, first of all, what are your thoughts on that? And secondly, in terms of when you're now gone into that environment, what kind of coach did you see yourself as or what kind of coach were you then when you had those nine months where you just focused on coaching and how much of that was impacted on your previous experiences, both as a player and as a coach prior to that? Yeah, I think with the the coaching pathway, you know, when I did my first course as a 16 year old it wasn't a level one it was a junior team managers course that's what it was called and I did that I think very close to my 16th birthday um it was a very basic course um uh, but great and I was introduced to a, a coach education coach educator called Arthur Hammond who was great really enthusiastic had a real charisma around him around how he delivered the course and got me enthused about coaching uh, and, and really enjoyed working with him and then went on to do the coaching certificate as it was then, which is the level two now. Um, and that was obviously a bit tougher, a bit longer. Um, spent the time doing that. You, it was a tougher sort of um, pass grade. You know, you, you really had to, nowadays, the way it's done, you obviously pass the courses, you go through it really, you know, with the logbooks and everything else. Back then, even the level two, it was a pass and fail at the end where you had to deliver your, your session in front of everybody and you're very nervous you know again 17 years old working with a lot of I mean on my level two I, I had Matty Holmes played in the Premier League with West Ham so you know I remember throwing a ball to, to Matty and him heading a ball back to me and then going well you've got to coach him and I'm like well I don't know what he's, he done anything wrong <laughs> just you know at that age at 70 you just didn't see anything especially with a player of his level that had played in the Premier League um so, yeah, so that, that journey coming across people like that was, was obviously superb. And I think um, it's changed massively nowadays with the way it's um, led through the course and the, and the, play, uh, the coaches are a bit more comfortable to, 
to, to get through the qualification. I think even at level two back then when I was doing it, there was a lot of people that didn't pass it and then maybe didn't come back to it and sort of parked it and left it alone because of the, the, the passing criteria as it was then. I remember the B licence being even tougher and I actually found the A licence by the time I got to things like that, was you're probably a bit more comfortable. Um, and the first one I'd done with my own uh, players was my goalkeeper B licence, where the tutor actually come and watch me coach in my own environment. And whilst the goalkeeper B licence for me was quite a tough one technically to pass, it was probably the easiest final assessment I had because it was with my own players. Um, and I think that that changing and them doing that, that is, and the in-situ visits you get through level two and that so much better nowadays. So I think the pathways it, it, it's working, it's working towards a, a better area. I think there still needs to be an element of passing and, and not failing is the wrong word, but that, you know, that criteria to make sure we're getting the coaches that are in a good place and maybe the ones that need more support um, going through that. Um so, yeah, I think, think the pathway's in a, in, in a good place as far as a, what's going to happen pre-COVID with, with, with FA education. We'll we have to wait and see and FA learning are, are looking at how to do things. Um, so that's going to be an interesting an interesting time. But I think for me, as you said there, the, about when I went away to America and just got to fully coach, I think the good thing there was, like, obviously I had the environment and the, the fun of being away in a new, a new country and, and, and all of that side, but all I had to worry about if I wasn't enjoying myself was planning my session, working to that session, coaching, working off loads of other good coaches as well. Um, I was under 21 then. So I think I was turning 20. So because of that, I couldn't drive. So all of my in, in America because of the insurance side of things. So every session I went to was with another coach, even though I felt comfortable to coach my own, I was always with someone else because that was just my situation being the age I was. So I got to learn off so many good coaches, so many good people that, you know, had played at a good level, but had been around, you know, in my house, I had an ex-pro called Stephen Broad. And Stephen Broad played, he was the reserve um, captain at Chelsea, played with Viali, Zola, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I remember I'd lived with him for a couple of weeks and sort of he hadn't clicked who he was because he wasn't that type of person. And all of a sudden I was like, I, I know you, I used to sell you all the time on Football Manager. And, he, and I was like, as a realisation, he was like, oh yeah, I'll sell myself here. He was a rubbish reserve player. And, and, and I was just like, all of a sudden, you know, then you start to delve into his knowledge base and, and what he's done around the game. And, and that was great for me learning wise. But some people you have to pull out of them because he's not going to sit there on the first day and say, oh, by the way, I've, you know, I've played with Zola and I've captained John Terry alongside me. You know, he wasn't that sort of bloke. And uh it was great to learn off people like that, uh, focus on enjoying myself and, yeah, how good the sessions were. And I got loads wrong, loads of poor sessions. But because you could just work on it and you got the opportunity to go and go and go again, you learned through your mistakes. And I've still got my logbook from my, from my time in America, you know, all the sessions we did. And I look back at some now and I'm like... <laughs> Like what? It's, it's, just, it's not a great session. It don't look. Well, it certainly didn't look it on paper anyway. But yeah, you've got to you've got to give it a go, haven't you? So that was the big thing. Opportunity to probably to fail lots and lots and lots of times, um, and and get another go again, and get to go again, and work along those 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 strong co coaches that I was out there with, um, as well as enjoying it. Mm -hmm. the crack. Yeah, no, definitely some good stuff there. And I think you know, coming back to the coach education piece, and you talked there about. You know your experiences on the coaching qualifications yourself, and 
the pass and fail element. And I think one of the things I've always said, I think that element, they need to bring back some sort of uh, aspect of that. Not to say, like you said, not pass and fail per se, but I think maybe more in line with the expectations of what it took or what a pass maybe looked like. I think needs to be brought back to an extent. It's more specifically from the technical perspective, because I think that 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 bit, that bit we've almost, uh, if you're like maybe lost a little bit, uh, not completely, but I think it has it has lost its uh, touch a little bit on that front. But another point that you've obviously made there as well is that, you know, you, you're working with a player, and they've done something that doesn't need to be coached, but the expectation would be, well, you need to coach something. So I don't know, you know, I don't know about yourself, but I know certainly going through the level two and the B license myself, that there'll be times where you'd find people have purposely making mistakes so you could coach. And, oh yeah, yeah. And it becomes false, doesn't it? And I think you know, it, again, I can resonate with your with your experience of the goalkeeper B license because I haven't done it myself. I'm not sure when you did yours, but um, you know, having a tutor come out to watch me in my environment, my players, and it was almost. Yeah, it, it does become easier because then you know you know what needs to be coached on. You're not relying on people falsely making mistakes. You're actually aware and assessing actually what are the, what's the makeup of the players that I'm working with? What are they likely to need support on and designing sessions specifically around those needs rather than going on the course and a tutor said, right, I want you to deliver a session on uh, attacking in the wide areas and then you have to design something around that and certain points that they would want you to cover because that's what they want you to cover rather than that's something that's actually occurred if you like. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And that's where I think the in-situ visits have, have become quite a big thing with certain level twos. So I go out uh, there and watch uh, a coach deliver an in-situ with his, in his environment and it, or her environment. It's so much better because also they coach what they want to coach. They want to coach in relation to what the kids need at the time. Um, and that was really, really important. As I say, my, my goalkeeper B licence, I, I, I delivered my session the week before as well in the same with the same players same goalkeeper same environment same end of the pitch it was exactly the same then a week later because i knew he was coming down um and i think the goalkeeper was more <laughs> young tom he was he was more nervous than me because i was like don't worry the guy watching you uh, simon smith you know um you know people like that you know they've, they've been around and these are all the tutors i work with tony park simon smith um and that and, you know i was like that's right they're only working with joe hart you know a couple of years ago you know, now they're coming to watch you in goal. So I think he was he was more he was more nervous than, than me to be fair. But yeah, that was good. And, and and even on that day, there was some there was some coaching brought out within my session, and I didn't feel like it was stop. That's not good enough. It was the session's great. This come out within it. It wasn't really too your topic. And they gave me a couple of little little uh, golden nuggets. I felt that in my session um, during a, an assessment. So assessments don't have to be real. You know. A to B and scary and things like that. And I know some people get real hit up in things and, and that is that is tough. But yeah, I think what you said there is important that some things, some things are there to to make you step up to the plate would probably be the thing for me and, and have that opportunity to to do it um over and over again. So what that looks like, I'm sure that I know we're not the only people that are talking about that. And not the only people that have said that's, you know, certainly going into your B license, your A license, your pro licenses, you know, you've got the tick boxes, you've got the way it's done. My A license was still a, a pass and fail. I don't know what it's like as much nowadays if they're still letting them go through, uh, you know, a bit more comfortable if they, they tick the boxes. But um, it's great to do so much through the course, but going out there, deliver this session, where, where'd you get to? Didn't quite get there. 
you go again. Right. Now this is what you're going to look for. And that's, that's all it needs. You know, does it, it, I think it's hard. I did my A license and I got passed over sort of two parts and I did my first part and it went okay, but there were some big bits I was missing. And the tutor spoke to me and said, right, look in this bit, continue with that, but you need to hear X, Y, and Z. So I went out there, did my session, but I focused on X, Y, and Z. And over the course of the sessions, plus what he'd seen from me in situ before, he was he was happy to to pass me. So, um, yeah, I think it it can come down a lot to the the tutors and how they deliver that across sometimes as well. A hundred percent. I think you know, just coming back to your own journey now. You know, you talk about going out to going out to the states, um, age twenty ish. What happens from there? Yeah, so I I made the decision to go to America and do do a, do a nine months out there in New Jersey, but obviously travelled around. Great, great opportunity. Um, and then I come back, and as actually as as funny as it was, when I just about to leave the the girls and women's uh, coach job uh, at Hampshire FA was sort of being spoken about, and they knew that I didn't want to be in. Uh, an admin role. I'd, I'd left the, the county fair at that time, but they knew I was still interested in coaching. And when I come back, the 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 woman that was in charge, Tracy Bourne, uh, was pregnant. So they literally come to me and I landed back and they said, well, look, it's only going to be a sort of a six month to nine month contract because Tracy's on, on maternity leave. But do you want to do that? I was coming back to a, to no job, to no nothing, you know? So I was like, well, the opportunity to come back and walk straight into a full-time coaching role you know, it was superb for me. So, yeah, I'll come back and, and when I worked straight for the County FA to do that job as a girls' women's coach, which was um, mainly in schools and, and work around that, but um, did that for, I probably got that literally about six months in and they sort of spoke and said that Tracy wasn't going to come back. So they kept me on. I probably stayed in that role for about 18 months. And at that time, the FA skills programme was being spoke about and they used all of the coaches like myself um, that were full-time employees of County Affairs. They used us as guinea pigs. So they would bring us up to Lillyshaw. They would put all the sessions on. They would talk about the sessions. They would get us to deliver. They would talk to us about what they want to see and get feedback from us. And, and that was sort of the, yeah, the guinea pigs for the skills program. And then the job opportunity come up. And I remember speaking to my, to my, uh, chief executive at the time, Neil Kassar, and, and he said, look, this job sounds sounds like the one, you know, really to step up from county FA to, to the FA. Um, and I went for a job there, went went through the normal procedure and, and, and got a role in a, a skills team of, it was originally five and it went very quickly to a, a team of six. And, and then that's really probably where my best education as a coach happened, you know, working underneath some top people at the FA um, the amount of CPD, but also within the team I had, you know, I, the team I worked with from the six we started with, loads of different coaches come and went through that period. But, you know, I'm still in very good contact with with most of them um, and some really good people. But so just some great, great learning. Every time we got together, they bounce off of each other like within the whole program, but also within like day to day. Cause we originally we started off like when we would coach in a school, we were coaching twos. So you'd deliver a session, then I'd deliver one and I'd watch your session. I'd deliver the same session to different class, but I'd take things and, and, and mold it and, and, and take the things I like and add things to. And then it was like a, 
bit of like a healthy competition. You, you know, you didn't want someone to do a good session and then you to really do the same one and, and bomb with it. So it was, it was great, but it was never like, yeah, it was always healthy competition. It was never, never a problem. And you talk about, oh, that didn't go well there. And then the next week I'd do the first session and, and they'd go through like so. Um, and yeah, and I think the education I got there and the opportunities to work with lots of really, really strong coaches and a lot of them are doing some very good stuff nowadays. No, that's excellent to hear. And obviously, you know, that, that, that piece around that development and having the opportunity to kind of bounce off other coaches, but in a productive manner. I think that, that that's, a, that's a skill as well. I often, you know, similar to yourself, and I've been, I've been working in coach education for the last few years myself. And it, the one biggest skill that I kind of really try to emphasise for coaches to think about it, developing is the ability to actually work alongside another coach. I think, especially when first coming into the into the environment, a lot of us either end up working alone, or are someone else's assistant, or have an assistant. But when those two coaches are working side by side, it's always, "Well, I'm going to work, I'm going to watch," or "You're going to work, and I'm going to watch." And it's not really right. Let's both work, but in different ways and work alongside each other rather than apart from each other. And I think that that's, that, that for me is, is a really important skill for coaches to kind of learn and develop. So I guess, you know, from going through those little stages there, when did you start to say to yourself, obviously, you've, you know, you're in that role with Hampshire FA. When did you kind of make your mind up that you wanted to kind of maybe more focus on um, the, the female game, the women's game? And, you know, you, you know, you laughed and joked about it earlier in terms of, you know, playing football manager, LOE manager, but, you know, lo and behold, a few years later, you've become LOE manager of the year. How does that come across? Yeah, yeah. I think it was a case of whilst I was working for the, the in the FA Skills Program, which is a nine to five ish job. It wasn't nine to five, but you know that was my full time role. Um, I was still playing alongside, and then started dipping into men's non league. I'd left the girls centre of excellence program, which I'd done. I think probably at the beginning of the skills program, I was still doing that. It went from Southampton to to Hampshire, um, but I left the girls girls um, side just because I didn't feel the, the progression was there through that RTC Centre of Excellence programme as it was then. Um, and I had a very good year the last year. I think we won, you know, virtually all our games. So the challenge, I decided to challenge myself elsewhere. So alongside the nine to five, doing the, the men's non-league, I was a bit of a player manager just in, you know, step four, step fives, step six, and in and around sort of them, them teams. And then it got to a point where... Um, I, well, I actually broke my leg playing in a game. And whilst I'd, I'd broke my leg, I was looking around, seeing what jobs had sort of here and there. I decided I wanted to leave the non-league side I was at um, at the end of the year. And I saw the Millwall Lionesses job come up. Um, so I sort of half sort of looked at it and I'd kept an eye on the women's game because of so many players I'd worked with and how they were doing. And they were playing at the top level internationally and things like that. So social media was great just to keep in touch with them. And it's brilliant to see these players do well. The FA skills programme was also very mixed. You know, we had girls only skill centres, girls only sessions, as well as mixed and, and skills extra, where we had players in skills extra programmes then that are now playing, you know, in, in the professional game of the women's end now. So it it was it was always in my sort of DNA to work with those type of players. And yeah, and I went for the, I spoke to someone at, at Millwall, um, Lauren Phillips uh, and Andy Hill were there at the time. And I knew them both through the FA Skills Programme. Only lightly, but sort of knew them. I spoke to them and said, look, what's the deal? They told me when they trained and everything like this. So I decided to put an application in at Millwall, went up, 
actually did my interview on my birthday as, as random as it was and yeah got got the job initially kind of sort of looking at it for the last six seven games because it was it was the end of the season the, the other manager had left and with the travel from Southampton up to Dartford they sort of just wanted to see how it all went um, obviously I was recovering from a broken leg as well so sort of taking that all into consideration I thought we'll give it a go see what happens um, and it, it just went really well just really enjoyed it um, and then rolled it I stayed on rolled into the next year into opportunities to develop and, and add to the side and we had a year unbeaten um, across you know two sort of seasons and yeah ended up winning the, the, the LMA manager of the year for, for that season Um and yeah, when in, and that was really sort of my journey back into sort of management and and that side of things, and really really enjoy the management side of things. And I think what you said earlier about coaches working within teams, that's massively important now because I have a staff between five to ten people, you know, in their sides. And you look at some of you know Emma Hayes at Chelsea. I see a picture of her staff. She's probably got about twenty five staff members. You have to manage your staff and your coaches, as well as you do your, your players. And if you want to be on the field and coach, you've got to work with your S&C coach, you've got to work with your goalkeeper coach, you've got to work with your head coach that's working on, or your, your assistant that's working alongside you. You deliver this, I'll deliver that. You work with the attackers, I'll work with the defenders. I'll work on this, but if you see this picture happen, you jump in and help me. So I think what you said there is massively important and you're getting more and more um, multidisciplinary teams. It, it, it's just It's just really, really, and even at, grassroots level you know I think very few grassroots managers now tend to if they can do things on their on their own and he or she will have someone that works alongside them you know it might be a, a mum or a dad that's come on to help it might not be there all the time but a lot of the time they're working in in sync with someone so yeah so it's a very important skill yeah and that was how I sort of ended up in the in the women's game um trying to use my uh my my skills from championship manager and LMA manager in the, in the real life. But it's always funny because there is little, or certainly even that more so now, um, that the game is so developed that there is some real nuggets you can take from it. I remember something as simple as you always used to say, if you'd like to sign like a, a player from Argentina yeah. and he was unhappy, you'd have to sign an Argentinian to be like his mate to make him happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, it's you know, you think, yeah, and you, you think about the psychology of that that rings true. Yeah. Uh, and I, I played the game when they gave it away for free in the first lockdown, didn't they, again? Yeah. The first time I played it again. And the in-depthness of that is, is really, really good. And I think the women's game is going to be coming on board with it soon as well. Um, yeah, and those little, those little nuggets, may, yeah, maybe I did. Certainly, well, I didn't become a geography teacher, so ignoring that field work was probably the right, right decision. Excellent, excellent. Just curious, and you know, obviously throughout that journey, you know, you, you we're kind of still getting to where you are today. But you know, throughout that journey, you talk there about some of the things that maybe you've picked up, obviously along the way. Um, you know, laugh and joke about some of the things that you you might not have realised that you had to do back in when you're playing Championship Manager, Football Manager, as it eventually became. Um, but you know, you talk there about managing teams, not just the players, but also the staff. What have your roles taught you about leading others generally then? 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think I think it's a case of leading that staff like you would do the, the players and understanding that they want them to be involved heavily. Players want to play, they want to be involved. So do the staff. They want to use their skill sets, same as players want to use their skill sets. And end of the day, they're people. And you've got to be able to treat people with the respect uh, and everything that they they bring to bring to the organization. Some staff have been there obviously before I have, so I've got to use that skill set. You know, what are their knowledge? Some staff have been able to bring in from the outside. Um, and I think it's been been a real challenge, but in a good way for me to keep working with all these different different members and, and, and taking those little things that each individual skill set has. Um, also, like with strength and conditioning. Strength and conditioning coach will come to me and will give me some information. I'm, I'm not really in the position to turn around and say, well, the X, Y, and Z, because that's not my skill set. You know, but what I have done is over time, as I make sure I've listened to enough information, seen enough sessions, observed enough conversations that when I have a conversation now, I, I, I can feel where it where I want it to go. I might not have the technical, you know, knowledge around some of that stuff, but by taking an active interest and not just when the S and C coach is doing the session, just not even be on the field you know, actually being there and observing and seeing these little things they do, having conversations all the time, being open to their interpretation, I think it's important. Goalkeeping is another one. You know, just because I've done my goalkeeping, I have a, an interest in goalkeeping. Um, when I've run my goalkeeper coaches in, they've delivered the sessions, they've done it, and, I, and I've led off them. And I've been able to have, obviously, good technical and, and, you know, conversations about them, but that's their role. So let them run with it. And I... I've heard more and more about head coaches letting goalkeeper coaches pick who actually plays, you know, and start to get down that route. And I, I think that's a real brave and a real, real good way of way of going. And if you trust your, your staff, you can let them make some big decisions. And so, yeah, leading people, I think is, is what I've said. People always ask me about what's the difference between youth football to female game to the male game. And it's, look, it's football and it's people. You know, people. It, there's very similar, very similar. They want to play. If they're not playing, they want to know why. Um, they want support. They want to get better. Um, and then they have their their issues that go alongside football. And that's a start, especially through this COVID period, as it as it was with players. So, yeah, it's enjoyable. And I've been very lucky. I work with a lot of a lot of good people. Awesome. No, definitely. You know, you talked there about, you know, you're working with a lot of good people. You know, you, you had a couple of years at Millwall, um, went really well. And then you've eventually left Millwall, moved on to London Bees. How did that come about? 
what was the thought process and thinking behind that move? Yeah, with Millwall, we got to the point where it was quite well publicised. You know, we, we ended up going into administration uh, with, with the club. Um, we were going for the title at the time, trying, you know, toe and toe with Donnie Bells. And um, unfortunately, we, we had some financial issues, which meant that the players and staff and everyone would not be paid. We managed to do a go free page, which got to the point to get us through to the season with regards to finances to just keep us going. Um and we, we finished that season off strong, but, you know, we did we just a little bit too much, I think, with everything that went on. We, we lost to Donny Barrett, for example, in a, in a tight game. and But it was it was good, you know, it was a great time. And we didn't know if the club was going to continue. That was the, the be-all and end-all. And, and at that time, I actually got the opportunity to go to Yeovil. So Yeovil to me and uh, offered me the chance to go up to become a full-time manager because um, the, the Millwall stuff was very much part-time alongside, I was still working for the, the FA Skills programme. But as timing had happened, the skills program was 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 finished. They everyone redundant, literally at the end of that year. And then I got the opportunity to roll straight into full time management the Oval. So I couldn't turn it down. And as I say at the time, even though I loved everything about Millwall right the way up to the end, you know the players, the staff, and to be fair, the new chairwoman and everyone that's come in has, has done a great job. Um, I had to make the decision to 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 go there, um, and did a year at Yeovil which was, again, brilliant opportunity to work full-time with players, create a full-time squad, full-time programme. Massive challenge because they hadn't won for like nearly two years because of the, the changing of the licences. They hadn't been relegated either, you know, and, and they'd, they'd gone up. And obviously, you're talking about Yeovil Town versus, versus Man City. The financial, you know, inequality is huge. Um and, uh, and we gave it a go, but unfortunately, you know, lightning struck twice and, and we got to the point where we had to take a 10-point um, deduction because of uh, financial uh, financial situation. Uh, we didn't go into administration as such. It was a bit more complicated, but that had, that had to happen. You know, we were fighting, you know, relegation at the time. We were doing okay. Um, we, we were certainly a lot more competitive than, than, than they'd been previous. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it got to the point where we took 10-point deduction. We got relegated. Uh, but the FA were actually relegated as two divisions. And again, the same as Millwall was at one point on that then. We didn't know the club was going to continue. Um, and then London Bees come in for me and, and, and offered me an opportunity to go there. And again, I was in the same situation. I, I, I had to take the take the opportunity, take the job role, um, because I didn't know if there was one at, at Yeovil. And luckily, they kept going. You know, they did date last minute sort of com they kept going in the third tier and, and, and they've had an evolution as a the club went from Yeovil Town to Yeovil United and I think they're now going to be called Bridgewater Town um, so that's great for them you know they've not fallen away completely because Millwall had a completely separate situation where they become London City Lionesses and a new the, the Millwall Lionesses started again in, in the lower tiers and, and things so yeah after those two periods went to London Bees and, and, and started off there which was which was good. Again, financial restraints that there are being at a club um, like that, you know, Barnet in, in the championship and um, Barnet as a football club is obviously, you know, in the National League now and uh, well under under Darren Curry and got into the playoffs but didn't manage to get out of it and, and have, have struggled this year and COVID's had a massive impact and got to the point where unfortunately financially again, um, we, had to, we had to make a decision, so yeah, with a few games to go, um, 
and yeah, it was. It's, it, I'm starting to feel like a bit of a bad luck charm, you know, three three clubs and, and three sort of financial sort of issues. But that's the way the and what it means is there. There is some teams that will fall backwards a little bit. Some like Yeovil will create and go again. Some will fall right back down and go. We're seeing what it means for for others. Um, yeah, as I say, hopefully any future employees not looking at me at too much of a bad luck charm. You know, it's not like I've spent loads of <laughs> loads of money and put in their you know budget at risk. It's just it's just the landscape. It, it kind of it is what it is. So yeah, been been tough as far as that, but so enjoyable. And I met loads of great people and had so many good 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 games and good experiences with with the groups I've had. And I'm hoping for 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 more. Awesome. Now that's you know it's quite interesting. Obviously, you know the range of experiences, and you know, I think being able to just go into an environment not really knowing what's going to happen next is always is always going to be a challenge. Um, you know, and ha- have, having those difficult situations, especially when you go through them again, and yes, there might be some certain certain differences, but a lot of similarities as well. I guess you know, in that process, did you have anyone that you could kind of lean on to kind of get you know get a uh, you know, lend an ear maybe and just find out maybe what, how you get yourself out of this, how to deal with it. And, you know, I'm curious to know, not just from that that specific context, but across your journey, if you've had any major influences in, in the form of a mentor or any particular experiences that you've been through where you feel like, Do you know what, there's a real lesson learned there. And, I, and I, you know, maybe share that with us. Yeah, I think you pick up your mentors at different times. And, and I, as you said, I've, I've worked in so many different, areas of the game across so many in such a long period that different sort of mentors have come across at different points through the LMA program I actually do have an appointed mentor via the, the League Managers Association and I work with uh, Brent Hills who's a legend within the women's game and, and he's been superb for me um, I didn't work at Millwood more involved when I was at Yeovil um, so he's sort of supporting me through all them sort of things that have happened and, and has been great and um, so, yeah, he's been key. Obviously, I mentioned Sue Lopez when I first started um, within that. That role was excellent. But, yeah, I think it's it's when you look you look back and some some of the mentors as well are not just um, maybe those, the older generation that have been there and got the experience they've done it. Sometimes it's the people you're working alongside with, I've found. As I said in the, the skills programme, I worked with um, A.D. Pemrose all the way through. Uh, he's... You know, he was he become my he was my team leader at the skills program. He become my assistant at Yeovil. He's my son's manager. You know, he's now at Lewis uh, assisting down there. Um, lives down the road. His boy goes to school. My, you know, the best mates things like that. And you know, when I first met him, he was the girls and women's coach in Sussex. Uh, and I was so that guinea pig program I talked about earlier. We met first then. You, you think about fifteen years in advance. The fact that our kids are growing up best mates and and the 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 things that you've gone the journeys you've gone along with and different i've been in charge of sort of him and he's been in charge of me as such but it's never really been like that um but you've bounced off each other all the way through you've had very similar journeys and you know i've learned so much off him and and hopefully he might say you know he's he's done the same from from myself and all the other coaches i had in the, the the skills program were were brilliant like that. And then you had the ones above, the Pete Sturgis's of the world and uh, Paul Holder come in, Ben Bartlett, you know, these coach educators. There was a few that maybe you come across that maybe you you, you didn't um, take as much from, but those guys were, were, were brilliant. And the amount of times I'd watch Pete Sturgis coach 
And then all I'd want to do is go on the grass straight away. And for me, that is someone that's got something. If you can watch someone coach and all you want to do is go and do it yourself, then they're the type of people you want to be around. And, and Paul Holder was like that very much as well. And maybe it's a certain type of character I, I sort of bounce off and like, you know, they're, they're quite charismatic and stuff. So it might be that way. But yeah, there's loads of different people, different points. Adam Pilling was a was our team leader in the skills programme originally uh, when I was obviously quite, well, still quite young, really. Um, and he probably was a good mentor for me around not necessarily the coaching. He was great with that, but it was more just being able to deal with me as a person and my maturity and where I was at in my life. You know, I was enjoying myself in my 20s, you know what I'm saying? And he, he was very good at, at supporting me through that period. Um, I didn't realise at the time. You only realise that reflecting back and looking on things when you get asked good questions like that. Just on that, you know, you talked about you mentioned a few names there. What would you say is maybe if you had to pick up? Yeah, I'm sure you've got many more, many more than this. But if you had to pick up maybe two or three key messages that you kind of picked up from those people around you, uh, that you kind of maybe carry with you still today, what are those? What are those two or three messages? I say, I think the, I think the one with with Adam is not really a message that he gave me anything mm -hmm. particularly. Just the way he handled me as a as a young coach someone that was in the prime of enjoying his life he he knew that as well and I think the way that he managed to kind of keep me on track I probably made so many mistakes and so many things that you know I probably could have got a rap on the wrist for but he was great at, at, at not doing that and at mm. keeping me and, and probably helping me in those times when other people might have you know done it a different way. So I think that that message of the way he dealt with me was, was key. And I think the big things I've taken is that working with people, you know, individuals. And when you've got a group mm. of 23, 24 players in your, in your squad, for example, they're all, the way they learn is different, the way they react to things differently. And uh, so mm. that message probably was started to drip feed into me because Adam would deal with certain people in the group differently than he would me. And then AD took that on board as well. And I think that when you've got so many different people, so many different skill sets, you can't treat everybody that bang to rights the same because it, it, it doesn't mm. work. And you hear all the stories about how Sir Alex Ferguson with Eric Canton are differently to X, Y, and Z and things. Yeah. So, um, but having kind of maybe lived through that in my own way, um, I took that message was, was, was really key. And I think the other one is, is Brent, Hills, what he's given me recently is the message around what you're doing is working and what you're doing, doing really, really well and giving you that positive feedback of understanding mm -hmm. that things are going fine, even though there's challenges that you're, that you're doing a good job um, and, and why, you, why you're doing that really. People go on CPD courses, I think a lot. And I've always said when, when I tutor, sometimes you'll sit there and, someone will say something and you'll already be doing it. And all that does sometimes is give you vindication about why you're doing things and mm. you believe in it. Maybe you don't have the science behind it or you, or you haven't heard someone else say it, but you did it because you felt it was right. And then someone yeah. will say it and you'll go, I already do that. And it's, yeah, it's like yeah. oh, brilliant, you know, and it gives you that vindication. A hundred percent. I can totally relate. You know, for me, it was, that's that piece around it, you know, that implicit versus explicit learning. Um, and the way I work, you know, yeah, 
I mean, I've currently studied my master's and I, I guess I've never really been much of an academic, if you like. Um, and just reading some of the bits and some of the things that, you know, supposedly work, if you like, thinking, well, I'm really doing this stuff. I didn't even know it was called that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's quite interesting because, you know, you just go off, you just go off a feeling sometimes, off an instinct, if you, or gut feeling, um, because you just feel that that's the right thing to do in that moment, if you like, um, or for those people in, in, that, in, in that context. You know, so kind of, you know, just off the back of that then, you know, what, are, what, what would you say are maybe the fundamentals for your own coaching philosophy? I think it comes to playing and it's more of how I was treated as a player. Yeah. And I kind of, wait, so when you talk about those key messages you take from coaches, I've got that from a technical point of view. Yeah. I think when I talk about managing and, and treating people, I take the lessons from those managers that treated me well, but also quite heavily those that didn't, you know, the, the learning I took from how I felt as a player and how people treated me and how I never want my players to feel like that. Mm. And I, I think that that's, that's been a real, real key for me around my philosophy around how to manage people, you know, treat people, how you want to be treated. You know, it, it mm. is one of those. When it comes to football, it's very much the same. Are you going to get things wrong? Of course you are because not everybody's like me as well. So, you know, some people might get dealt with in a situation that I would, and they would completely be okay with it, or they would completely not like it. But I think the fundamentals of, of dealing with people one-to-one, of, of, of making people not feel like rubbish, especially when it comes to football, things like when they're not playing, mm. when, you know, when they're on the bench, when they're, you know... I think it's just real, real key that you treat people how they want to, how you want to be treated. And you, you can be clever sometimes around those conversations and learning from the, how different people uh, deal with things, but you're going to have to get that wrong quite a few times. And when I've gone to have a conversation or to, to do something and speak with a player and I've maybe decided to do it in a certain way, I've known going into those those conversations that, that I could be getting this wrong. Yeah. But because I'd planned that, I'd planned that if I say it like this and I do it like this and I don't get the response I want and it's wrong because of what I've done, then I can take that on me and I'll learn for the next time. The next time I try it with someone. Some players, I've <laughs> to try four or five different ways and you, you, you're still not getting something and then you, you're really getting to the point, right, but most of them after, you know, after a couple of different ways of trying to figure them out um yeah it, but again just treating people with respect I, I like to think that that's been my my big philosophy around certainly around management awesome and you know like i said you know off the back of that then you know you talk about your philosophy talk about some of the lessons that you've kind of picked up from those people around you what would you say has maybe been your biggest challenge of your coaching journey if you like you know is it something you know you mentioned dealing with clubs that are maybe going through financial challenges um so that might that probably comes in there somewhere but it, you know what is the what has been the biggest challenge for you in that respect and is it something that you may be still dealing with or maybe something you've dealt with and you may be overcoming if you, if you haven't been able to overcome it what was the kind of strategy and the thought process going through that point yeah i think the obviously the financial side of things was is is the big thing and, and that's just unfortunately where you land with as a, as, a, as a manager and as a club. Um, I think the big thing for me is every club I've gone into, and I had to reflect back on this quite a bit over different periods, um, 
whether it's been the female game in the youth game or, or sort of the men's game, every club I've gone to have pretty much been down the bottom end. You know, there's been a reason why I've been able to come into the club. They've needed an uplift. And with that, I've been able to, to, to improve every side I've been, every league table I've been at, they've, the next season they've, they've done better, mm. which you can take as a, as a measure of success to, to some degree. So for me, I've, I think my, my big challenge is continuing that and over period. And what I've not been able to do yet is break beyond a couple of years because of those financial things that are kind of, should you get going, you get the rug pull from underneath you. Mm. I think as a manager and a coach, you want to have a longer period of time. Now we know that managers don't get that long nowadays, but in the women's game, you do get a bit longer. Um, uh, so that's going to be, that. that's my next challenge really, to be able to get my feet under the table at a club and to look at a long-term plan. Because um, I've had those long-term plans, but as I say, they've just been pulled out from under my feet quite quite mm. early doors. And I think the other one is to, to go into a club which has resources, which has finances, which has a big staff structure already. What's that challenge going to be for me? And I'd be prepared for that because there might be employers out there that look at me as a manager and go, well, he's great for going and going and work with a team that's struggling, that's got no resources, got no money, can pull in players to play for him for for not a lot, can can do a lot with a little. So you know the Sam Allardyces of the world yeah. and stuff like that. And I want to be careful that I don't get pigeonholed into yeah. that because I feel yeah. like I'd, I'd love to get the opportunity to go and work with 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 a, with a bit more with a bit more resources and see how good I could be with that. Mm, no, it's interesting you said it because literally just as you were mentioning, I think it's must well. You know, the first thing that popped in was Sam Allardyce there, you know, but the thing is, has he ever been given an opportunity to do anything otherwise? Mm-hmm. Within reason, maybe. Um, but then it is that, that key word, pigeonhole. You don't want to be pigeonholed as, um, as that person. But at the same time, you could be pigeonholed as that person, but then become a specialist at it. So, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, it's finding the right balance, isn't it? Um, because, you know, if that's, yeah. if that's the thing, then there's always going to be clubs that are struggling. Which means there's always going to be a potential opportunity for you to get into work. <laughs> there's two ways you can look at it. I, mean, I guess for you, then you know what what keeps you motivated then to kind of keep doing, it? and how do you then you know position yourself or present yourself in a way where you maybe are appealing to those people who are looking at the top end of this, uh, this the league, if you like. Yeah, I think my I'm I'm still massively enthusiastic. I like. I'm going to be a better manager in my next job. I believe that. I'm going to be a better coach in my next job. I'm, going to be, I'm better for every time I have these experiences. I'm excited for, for what could come next if something does come up. Um, and I think that's the motivation that I've got to, to, to go again. If it is a side that's, that's struggling and needs that, brilliant. I feel I've got that resources. I've got that ability to, to pull a side out. And if I can get the long-term aim, I think I can. I, the plan is to really push the club whoever it may be, beyond that relegation battle and push them up and up and up um, and try to compete can do. So hopefully having that time, I think as far as positioning yourself within with, with an opportunity for, for, for a role where maybe you do have those more resources and more opportunities, I think it's tough. I think it's a case of making sure you have the right answers for, for, for interviews and things like that mm. around how do you deal with a big, you know, when you're not doing the coaching all the time at X, Y, and Z, and you're you're not having to do the budget, and you're dealing with directors of football, and how to do that. And I think opportunities to get out there and speak to a lot of 
managers and be around a lot of managers that have done that. I, I did my LMA diploma mm. and a football management course, um, which was a, a, a year's course, which is great because I was on it with the likes of Nigel Pearson, you know, mm. and again, just being on a course with people like that for a year um, was great. So picking those little nuggets out. So what did they do at the time? And also I'm not one of those people that I'm not afraid to say, I, I'm not sure at the moment. Yeah. Or if I've got a situation, picking up the phone and saying, what will this be? And, I knew when I went into Barnet, you know, there was some, you know, quite heavy rotation around coaches and management and, and people within the club. Uh, and, and when I did my research on the club, you know, you, I was told about this sort of thing. So when I was prepared to go into, I knew that would be a new challenge for me, which was great. It was a good challenge. And, uh, you know, you have to overcome things and, uh, and, and deal with things a different way. And then you reflect back and go, well, did I get that right? Or did I get that wrong? Some bits I did, some bits I didn't. So I think it's a case of whatever the next role is, you can always go back to try to win a league to go forward, which maybe shows that you can be back at the top of the league again. But I, I like to think that my experiences at Millwall, where you know we were very close to winning the winning the division, what we did at London Bees last season, a pro pre-COVID, you know, where we managed to finish fifth behind all the pro clubs in the, in the division, was was great. Um, this season, you know, when I left third bottom and, and away from the relegation is as such growing into this, this tough period. Um, I like to think that I've done enough on my CV and done enough to, to, to show people that I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be sort of given, given an opportunity. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a case of someone believing in you and you've got to be given that. I look at my journey all the way through and everything I've just said, mm. I, I've worked hard to get to everywhere I've got to, but mm. I've had to have those doors open. And you do need doors to be open. You do need someone to give you the opportunity. And then you've got to reward them by saying that, that you know, that's what, that's, well, that's what I can do. You know, kind of just on that note then, you know, if I, yeah. if I said to you, Lee, you know, you're 60 seconds now to kind of wrap up a golden nugget for the listeners to kind of think about, what would that be? I think it would go, I'd go on that. I think it would be a case of what you said there is have an idea of where you want to be, work towards that try to get as many experiences so if you want to be working in first team as you said go and get that non-league experience you might be working with an under nines in academy because that's paying you and it's good mm -hmm. to get your foot in the door but guess what by giving it a little go actually after a while you might go well, i don't want to work in the first team it's a nightmare up there but actually i'm really good and i really enjoyed the nines mm -hmm. so until you've given it a go you might not actually know where your skill sets are sure. so for me i think it's get out there go and coach in as many different things as you can do have your idea where you want to go and that idea might change through your experience. Never, never know. And don't close your mind to anything um, because, you know, there's going to be lots of opportunities in all the different areas of, of football, I think, as we as we go forward and the game's growing in everywhere and get out there and give it a go. Make loads of mistakes, smile and enjoy yourself and learn from them as, as you go, really. Awesome. No, definitely a great message, Lee. You know, just on a final note for you, then, you know, just by having this conversation with me now, you, you know, you've made yourself part of this coaches network that we've got here, and you know, I guess the question I've got for you is, when you do eventually kind of, um, I don't want to wish your years away as a, as a as a coach or as a manager, you know, whichever way you wish to be looked at, when you do eventually kind of, you know, leave the industry or you leave an environment you're working in, better yet, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Yeah. 
I think it'd be a case of probably someone that helped to pioneer the and, and, and push forward the women's game. You know, I think that the, it's in such a vital stage. There's obviously players and people that have been coaching and involved in it a lot longer than me. You look at people like Tony Farmer and stuff that were, were doing it in, in the 90s with Chelsea and getting them going and all people like that are, are huge. And I think for me, if they look back at this next period, you know, we've just had the Sky Sports deal being announced and things like that. I think everybody realises the game in, in what position it's in. And if they can look back at that period, and it might even be that I maybe affect someone that has an even bigger effect. It might be that I've given the support to a player or a coach that goes on to be a, a real big influencer that might be the future England manager themselves and, and wins the the World Cup for England, something like that. So maybe if someone could look back on on my period, my, my time in this period, and say that I I helped um, it, it grow and, and push forward in the right area. And I think women's the women's football was banned for fifty years by the FA, and we got fifty years of catching up to do. So fifty years time, can we look back and say, you know, that the game has managed to grow and and, and get back to a position where hopefully. You're you're not going on social media and getting all the you know getting some of the the rubbish you do about people that uh, don't want to watch the women's game or, or want to you know want to want to dig things out for for any sort of reason and and hopefully culture changes in in lots of different areas so um, yeah we're, we're in a we're in an interesting time at the moment so for me if I look back on it I'm hoping I'm sat in nice and old in my chair watching watching all different types of football on and uh, can say that, you know, I helped to help something. Um, that'd be, that'd be great. Maybe my daughter playing, I don't know, you know, might be that. Awesome. I'm so, that'd be a fantastic achievement. I'm sure it will. Um, Lee, look, it's been a fascinating conversation for me to have with you this afternoon. Um, I've hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And I'm sure the listeners and viewers will definitely have a lot of bits to kind of pick out from this one. Um, and should they, or anyone else uh, coming across this, have more questions around the things that we've discussed in this conversation or even beyond. Um, is there somebody that can get in touch with you to do that? Uh, yeah, probably Twitter is probably the best one as much as social media can be a great place to be. Um, uh, Birchie nine um, uh, yeah, is my, is my sort of Twitter and um, yeah, anyone wants to get in touch and wanna, wants to talk coaching and things like that. Um, especially at the moment, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite free. So, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to pick up and you, you mentioned about mentors earlier. There's a couple of people that have, reached out and you know trying to support people where I can do because I might be able to open a door or, or or help someone in a way that was that was done for me so more than happy awesome Lee look well look it's been a pleasure thank you very much and take care man well there you have it guys another episode of the Coaches Network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.